there are several people that I've taken notes on uh, over and over again because I really like the way they think. Josh Wolf is one of them. He just appeared on the Masters in Business podcast. So let's go ahead and jump into the notes. Um, so he says, if you don't grow up with money, you want it. He was reflecting on his own humble beginning, grew up in Coney Island, single mom, dad was not in the picture. So he says, I think the best entrepreneurs, if you can find the people with a chip on their shoulder that came from some sort of messed up background, it is almost always predictive that they will be very ambitious. So he says, growing up in Coney Island made me super skeptical and cynical of human nature. I'm fond of the Shakespeare quote, there are daggers in men's smiles. So he talked about growing up in Coney Island, you see all kind of hucksters and hustlers and liars. And he says that the world of uh, investing in entrepreneurship is a reflection of that. So part of his strategy is to identify and to look for the, the people that are actually uh, perpetrating frauds. So he says, Every, everything in my life I would describe as randomness and optionality. Ex post facto, I can explain everything. A priori, you never know. So basically what he's saying is that humans have the tendency to, after something happens, we build this narrative and kind of explain um, you know, why that occurred. But he makes an important point that at the, before that actually happens, one, you don't know if the narrative is true. Two, going forward, you, you just don't know. So you should leave your life open to a lot of randomness and optionality, which he credits in him having uh, the career he does now. He just happened to pitch one really successful investor. It's the founder of the Carlisle Group, and they're the ones that seeded that fund. He had some success with investing, and then that's led to, to the career that he has at Lux. Um, he does make this next point that I really appreciate, and sometimes I... So the beginning of the sentence is something I identify with because there's a lot of the things that Josh um, says that I'm prone to agree with. Uh, I, like default going into it, I just agree with a lot of his his um, his outlook. But the second half of the se the sentence, I'm less um, skilled at doing. So let me just read it or read it to you first. If you're going to be skeptical of other people, then you have to be a little skeptical of yourself. So I'm definitely skeptical of a lot of people, and I don't, I'm not that good at applying that skepticism to me and basically identifying where I'm lying to myself at, which I think is extremely important because we're all prone to make mistakes, and uh, as we'll talk about that in, in a, a later note in a minute. So he says for a huge, he's a huge science fiction fan, and he says for a huge number of the companies that we've invested in, the ideas behind them, the technologies, the design, these things were modeled on things that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago in science fiction. So he talks about one of the greatest abilities you could have as a human being, especially in business, is to be a good storyteller. And he says science fiction writers are fantastic storytellers, so much so that even what they're writing is, is fiction at the time, they allow other people that read their books and read their writing to dream one day. And as they get older, uh, to chase and be influenced by things that are not yet real, but they want to, to, hap like to, to bring into reality, to make real. Um, so he talks about, this is a little bit about picking co-founders, which I, I love the sentence he's going to say in here in a minute, but he says, he, meaning his Lux co-founder, is the optimist. I am the pessimist. It is just my disposition. I expect the worst. He expects the best. And then this was very fascinating, saying like the, that balance is giving, he feels competitive advantage to Lux, and he, but he, he does this thought experiment where, well, what would you happen if, it was just, if I just worked with a bunch of people like me? He says, if you had an entire firm that was like me, we would just be a bunch of cynical short sellers just trying to spot the frauds. And then he also applies that, well, what if you take me out of the equation and it's just a, a bunch of people like my co-founder? He says, if you had a firm entirely like him, we would, be a lemming, we would be lemming growth investors paying any price and going off the cliff. 
And so why would you want to maybe have a co-founder or work with other people that are so different from you? And Josh says, if two people think the same, one of them is unnecessary. Um, he makes a really good point. This is something that's really was really hard to internalize, especially people that just starting out in entrepreneurship were prone to copying things around us and kind of building on that. But taking the less traveled route and actually doing something hard means you're going to have less competition, which over the long run could mean that it's going to be actually easier for you. So he says, we want really high scientific and technical complexity, not because we want to tackle things that are really hard. It's because we don't want competition. The problem with funding and doing easy things is you get hundreds of competitors. And uh, related to this, he talks, he, he talks a little bit about what's important to him. He says, I'm psychotic about competitive advantage. Uh, the single best trait of an entrepreneur is someone who could tell a story, somebody who has that narrative power. And he talks about people that have impact on his life. E.O. Wilson, the author, had the biggest impact on me intellectually. His book, Consilience, The Unity of Knowledge, was modern Renaissance thinking. Wilson turned me on to Charlie Munger. I've learned from Charlie's views of Renaissance thinking and worldly mental models and Wilson's view of the unity of hard sciences and soft sciences. Actually, sitting on the table as I record this is Poor Charlie's Almanac. Already done two podcasts on Charlie Munger. Uh, it's Founders number 79 and Founders number 78. And then um, as soon as I finish, it should be soon, um, reading Poor Charlie's Almanac, I'll do another podcast on him because I think he is a... F I, I'm with Josh on this. He's a f just fascinating the way uh, his mind works. So he says... Um, talks about how Charlie and, and E.O. Wilson... Um, Influenced them, so he says, fine, and then he, this is what he took away from, from uh, studying them. He says, finding patterns helps you identify some universal truths. If you can continue to find those first principle universal truths, I think that sets you on the path to good decision-making. He says, uh, I've given, oh, I guess just walked over my own point here. He says, I've given so many people copies of Poor Charlie's Almanac, The Wit and Wisdom of Charlie Munger. Uh, it's actually, I just looked it up today. It's on, I paid probably $60 for the book. It's on sale at amazon.com right now for $29. I'd pick it up if you haven't. Uh, somebody asked Charlie Munger, what is the single uh, thing you would attribute your success to? He said being rational. And so Josh was talking about the, the work of Danny Kahneman in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, among others. Uh, he's just identified, you know, humans have a bunch of different cognitive bias. But the problem is most of us are, first of all, unaware that these even exist. But if you studied Munger and, and Kahneman and other people like that, you realize they exist. But even when you know they exist, you're still prone to, to commit these acts, these errors in rationality. That's why Charlie Munger saying, hey, the, fact that we'll, the single biggest thing that's contributed to my success is that I've been more rational than other humans. So he's, uh, Josh is saying, even being aware of cogn every cognitive bias humans have won't stop you from falling victim to them. You can look at an illusion, know it's an illusion, yet it still works on you. And he talks a little bit about capital allocation, and uh, so I'm less interested in that, but I'm, I am interested in how it applies to companies. So let me just tell you what he says and then what man, that made me think of. He says, there's a barbell to capital allocation today. There's money going to very, very small funds. I call them minnows. At the other extreme is the megas. The megas are people that are raising billions of dollars. So then I just added this side note. It's, uh, I feel it's the same for companies. That reminded me of one of my favorite Jeff Bezos quotes, who's picked up on this at the very beginning. Even this idea, what I'm about to say to you, is less, seems less obvious when you look at how entrepreneurs are building their companies today. Uh, I think it's more obvious today than it was when Jeff said this. But Jeff says, on the internet, companies are scale businesses characterized by high fixed costs and relatively low variable costs. That means you could be two sizes. You can be big or you can be small. It is very hard to be medium. 
a lot of medium-sized companies have had the financing rug pulled out from under them before they could get big. And I think there's a barbell to company, the way companies need to be signed. They can be large, although much smaller than the large companies in the past, or they can be extremely tiny. What I hope to see, what I'm personally interested in, is millions and millions of tiny companies. I'm talking about one people, two people, maybe five people, maybe 10 people, something like that. But an explosion of uh, not only like the products you can build with such a small team, even as individuals, but the, the amount of impact you can have. Uh, he says he ta- tells a story that's that's really interesting about the optionality and, and exposing yourself to positive back black swans. He says uh, we put a total of three million dollars into this company that cleaned up nuclear waste. In the first year, they did about a million dollars in revenue. Then there was a negative black swan, which is the Fukushima disaster, um, which turned into a positive black swan for the company. So the revenue then the next year went to forty million dollars, then eighty million dollars, then one hundred sixty million dollars, and then we sold the company for four hundred million. He got a return on his money of like a hundred x, something like that. Um, this is something I also agree where. Um, it, Assuming you had the skills, and I don't think many people do, so it's extremely hard, which obviously works to your advantage. But I think the largest opportunity right now to build technologies companies is probably in military technology. And Josh picked up on that. He's made investments in this. He, he talks about like why that is kind of obvious now. He says, I think military te- technology is one of the most exciting and important areas in the next five years, in part because the vast number of big tech companies, Google on down, are eschewing working with the military. What's the end result of that? It is creating a giant gaping hole where there's a tremendous opportunity for some of the smartest technologists to work on the, on these problems in defense. If you think about where the United States spends most of its money, look at its budget. It's defense spending. And a lot of that is going to be going to autonomous uh, systems. And the classic uh, defense contractors in the United States, they don't know how to build autonomous systems. So that's what he's talking about, this giant uh, gaping hole. Uh, this is something where I empathize with him. That's why I named the... Um, the member program for Founders Podcast, The Misfits. He says, I like people that have this gritty rebel side to them. Um, Josh is a racist reader. Uh, he says, reading great books is like having conversations with the best minds of history. Um, he says, so many of my mentors I have never met. They are dead. They are alive in pulp, meaning the books, and, uh, and ideas. Um, he's some of the people that are still alive, but he, he looks up to. He says, I've read anything I could from Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. It gives you a grounding sense of a true business and markets and human psychology. If you haven't studied those greats, you have a massive deficit. I agree with this. I just last week read um, the largest book that I've ever read for Founders Podcast. It's every single shareholder letters, 54 total of Warren Buffett. It came out last week. If you haven't got it yet, if you haven't listened to it, please do. It's Founders Podcast, what is it, 88? Um, But yeah, it's the longest podcast I've ever done. It's over three hours long. Um, he's got some book recommendations for us, how the mind works, the operator, David Geffen builds, buys and sells new Hollywood, which I hadn't heard of. I put it on the list for founders. He says, I like reading biographies. So do I, uh, why zebras don't get ulcers, elephant in the brain, the Magnus, the writing of Rachel Cusk, the overstory and the diamond age. I link to every single one of those in the, in the notes. If you want to, uh, to check any of those out, uh, good advice. He talks about the, the best early advice he got. Stay close to the money. Find where the capital is flowing and stay close to it. That was one of the best early advice I got from somebody. So this is what I mean. There's a lot of things that I learned from Josh, but we have like these these dispositions that are similar. It's interesting because anytime I've had friends ask me advice for jo- on jobs, and you know I've I've worked I've had like two jobs in my life, but I've never even had a job interview. They were I was like real younger, and I always got a job because I knew somebody, right? So I'm not a good 
person to answer this question, but I was like, there's, I don't know anything about the business you're in is what I was telling a friend of mine, but all I know is that new position, you get further from the money. I go, the problem with that is when there's a, uh, like, let's say the management, it was a, this is a large company at the time. Let's say the management changes, uh, new leadership comes in. They could easily dispose of like, it was, it was for, for a quote unquote, a promotion this person was getting. Right. And, um, the problem with that is let's say like that, you're further away from what's generating the company money, right? And so this person wind up not taking that job. And like a year later, that department was eliminated completely. And it's just not because I had any special insight. It's just, you know, businesses, they will always pay. They will keep the people that are generating the money, whether it's salespeople, uh, anybody bringing in new business. So they're, they're, why? Because by definition, those people are closest to the money. The further you get away from the money, the more expendable you become. And that's just a general principle that applies to whatever industry it is. And finally, I'll um, close here. He says, um, and this is, again, something I agree with too. <laughs> and my natural like inclination is like, hey, there's a lot of things that happen in life that uh, it's what, like what people are saying it is. It isn't like that's not what it is. It's a, you, whether it's a lie or whether they're just omitting things, whatever the case is. But Josh says, uh, he was asked the question, what do you know today that you wish you knew 20 years ago? And he says, I wish I would have known how rigged the game is. Every system at every point is rigged. There is always a game being played. There is a secret that people who are making the most money keep. They won't acknowledge it publicly until after the fact. Appreciate that and look for it.